Well, good morning, church. It's wonderful to see you. Looks like everybody's got a seat. If you have a, some empty space between you, uh, just always be mindful to fill that up as folks come in late and we don't want them to be uh, embarrassed or not find a place. It's great to be with you. I love Sunday morning. It's my favorite time of the week. It's good to be with you. I'm always encouraged by my study in the scriptures each week, and I pray that it's an encouragement to you as we hear from the Lord and what he has for us. This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And so we are continuing through this progression that we've been in for some weeks on authority and God's ordained plan of authority in the world, beginning with the authority of God himself and then going to the authority of governing officials and then authority in the workplace and on unjust suffering and then marriage. And now we are to parents and children. So Peter does not take it this far, but every other passage in the scriptures that deals with these things goes from the authority in marriage to the authority of parents over children. It's the last step in this progression of authority, this progression of order. And kids, if you're, if you're smart, you're thinking, wow, I'm at the bottom of the stack of authority. That's right. You are this, you're at the last rung, but you're not there for it to be a problem for you. You are there so that you might be under the blessing, the covering, and the good authority of those that are above you that are watching out for you, protecting you, nurturing you, and caring for you. It is a blessing, children, to be under the authority of a mother and a father that love you and in the setting of a church that loves you and cares for you. So let's read this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Please stand with me to honor the Lord as we read his word. And this is following the latter half of Ephesians chapter 5, which is a counterpart passage to what we have been working through in Peter. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. We know very well that in our day and age, the world does not consider marriage a blessing, and it certainly does not consider children a blessing. Usually children are considered an economic and social drag to people's life, but that is not what the scriptures tell us about children. The scriptures tell us that children are a blessing from the Lord and that we should be thankful for them and that we should cherish them and love them and welcome them into our home and be glad for those that the Lord brings into our path or allows us to care for in our course of life. But in this course, there is a proper way and an improper way of, of caring for children. And children, you must understand this morning that you are under the authority of your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents, you must understand that God has put you in authority over your children. It is his ordained purposes that you be in authority over them. But it is not an unconditional authority. It's a conditional authority. It's a delegated authority. You are in authority yourself under the Lord. So children, obey your parents in the Lord. So if a parent, just like all these other aspects of authority that we have talked about over time, if a parent asks a child or, or presses a child to do something that is evil or outside of what the Lord has commanded, the child should not do that. 
the child should be under the authority of a parent that is themselves under the authority of the Lord. And so what happens as a Christian parent is exerting their God-given authority over this child, something very important is happening. What is happening is that a parent is teaching a child to obey God and that what they are learning under the parent should be consistent with the authority of God. Because what's going to happen in the life of your young child is that they are going to understand you as an authority figure in their life long before they understand God and his authority. And what should happen is that your loving and good authority, which is structuring their life, is consistent with the good ways in which the Lord God is ordering and structuring their life. So that when they come to an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they come to an understanding of who God is, there's not a dissonance between your authority and love. There is a continuation between your authority and love and the goodness of God's authority and love. And so you are ministering to your child as a parent, bringing your child under your authority. And under that authority, you are nourishing them, you are protecting them, you are growing them, body and soul, both of those things. So often the soul is neglected by the parent, and we must not neglect that. In fact, in our day and age, the soul is just not even recognized in a child, which is horrendous. It's the major part of who you are and forming what will become of you. And as a Christian parent, we not only don't neglect the soul, we are intentional about the cultivation of the soul, that it might grow and strengthen within our children. But we must understand from a biblical perspective that every child is born a sinner. Every child is born a disobedient rebel. And you think, wow, like I've got a precious little child in my house right now. She does not seem like a disobedient rebel. She is a joyful little thing. We absolutely love her. But I know because I have raised four other children that one of the first words she will learn is no. And she will quickly, that, that little smile will turn to a little scowl. And it will begin to show that we are all born into sin. We inherit the sin that is passed down to us. And the salvation of Christ is necessary for every child in order for their soul to be redeemed and the nature of that child changed. And so I would argue to you this morning that the number one priority of a parent, the number one priority of a parent is to bring a child under their God-given authority. And you may say, what are you talking about here, Pastor Vic? There's a lot of other priorities that could come in, in the life of a child, and there are. But if your child does not learn to respect your God-given authority in a way that is healthy and life-giving, the likelihood that they will come under God's authority gets much more difficult because they will continue in rebellion against your authority and that rebellion will continue against God's authority. But if a child comes under your authority and sees it for the blessing that it is, it makes an easy pathway for them to come under God's authority and see it as a blessing. We are teaching our children right from wrong. We are teaching them consequences for rebellion. We are teaching that when they ask for forgiveness, they will receive forgiveness. We are teaching them what unconditional love is, that our love for them is not based on conditions. We will always love them. And that unconditional love teaches them about the unconditional love of God the Father. We are teaching them the difference between is and ought, and the way that the world is, is not the way that it ought to be. And in Christ, it ought to be something different. 
We are teaching them the reality of a merciful but sovereign God. It takes every person a long time to learn about God, learn about the reality of who he is. And we begin when a child is very small and it takes many years for that child to grow up and understand the reality of a merciful but sovereign God. And it is our role as a parent, as a father, as a mother, to teach your child about these things. You are helping their heart to be prepared to understand and believe the salvation of Jesus Christ. Each child must make their own personal decision to trust in Christ as their savior. But you as a parent are working as an evangelist to prepare the soul of your child that they might believe in Christ Jesus. They should be able to follow in your footsteps that you are going before them with a consistent, godly, truth-speaking example. I was encouraging one of our church members this morning in the, in the constant hard role of a parent to constantly speak to your children the truth and to love them. That's a hard thing, folks. It never gets easy to tell your, tr your children the truth and to love them. But this is what we are called to do as parents. That hopefully, as sinful as we are, because every parent here feels their own sinfulness when they try to go and, and raise their children. Because as you speak to your children the things of God, you see in yourself that you also are a sinner. But your child will grow up and see that. They'll see that, you know, mom and dad, they also are in need of the grace of God. And that together we are all redeemed sinners. And it speaks to them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we go and pass through this subject, I just want to appeal directly to our children. I came to salvation when I was five years old. At five years old, I knew that I needed to know Christ as my Savior. I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew I needed forgiveness of my sins. And I was aware that there was a God, not by accident, but because my parents had taught me about the Lord God. And I confessed my sins and put my faith in Him at that young age and barely knew what I was getting into, but it's led me to where I am now. And so I appeal to you children, if you know that you are a sinner, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Tell your, tell your mother, tell your father that it's time. I want to believe in Christ Jesus. Or tell me, tell someone, and go and move and make that decision to follow after Christ. You should know, children, that we pray for you. We pray for all the children in this church to come to salvation. We labor for the salvation of our children, young and old. Well, as we move on in this passage, we come to verse 2, which says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother. Honor is an ingrained part of the Christian family. If you were awake last week, you heard me talk about the role of the husband to honor his wife. And it, we specifically talked about honor. Well, the same thing is to be true with the parents honoring their, their children, the children honoring their parents. The Christian family should not be a place of disrespect, but a place of honor. And children honoring their parents is the same way, basically, as we talked about honor last week. It begins with the attitude of the heart. A child must strive to have an attitude of honor towards their parents. Honor in their words and specifically honor in their actions. The, the specific thing with children is, is obedience. Because a child cannot truly and earnestly say, I honor my mother and my father while I act in rebellion against them. 
If you honor your father and mother, you're going to obey them when they ask you to do and command you to do the things that you are required to do. And you are going to intentionally submit your will to theirs and honor them by walking in the ways that they are calling you to walk in. So obedience and honor for a child are linked together. But this doesn't come out of nowhere. This comes straight out of the Ten Commandments. This is one of the ten basic moral things that God has commanded for human beings to do. If we go back to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus 20 verse 12, which is the fifth of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So what Paul is speaking about here is the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And with it comes a blessing. The idea that your days will be long in the land and it will be well with you. What this is basically talking about is what we all understand. The harmony of living together with family in a blessed way. So much of the blessing of my life has come from my family members and living at peace with them and them blessing me and me blessing them. And the older I get and my children become adults, I'm trying to bless them. And then one day I'll get old and they'll bless me. And there's this multi-generational blessing of family. And when children honor their parents and then it keeps going and there's honor amongst the generations, there there is a health and a strength to that family. And it is a blessing to those that live within that family. And we should be striving for multi-generational health in our families. And those that depart from those things in rebellion will not receive that blessing. Those that intentionally go out and cut themselves off from the blessing of family will not receive that blessing. And that's not a good thing. If you know that's where you are this morning, you should go back and ask for forgiveness and make amends and enter back into the blessing of extended family that it may go well with you. Proverbs 20.20 speaks of the opposite of this. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. That's a powerful proverb. Do not speak against your father and your mother. And we're going to double back to this here at the end of the sermon. But something I want to note here from the fifth commandment all the way down here to Paul writing to the Ephesians is that the child is to honor father and mother, the equal honoring of parents. A child is under the equal authority of their parents. And parents, I want to speak to you about this. The age-old scheme of children to divide that equal authority of parents, to pit mom against dad and dad against mom and play you against each other. Don't allow it to happen. This speaks to the unity of marriage. Work together on this. Sit down, conference, say, hey, let's, what's, our, what's our unified decision on this? Every husband and wife parenting team in this room knows what it means to need to sit down and conference together to get on the same page so that you're going in the same direction with your children. And this is the unified authority that God has given to you. And so work together so that when the child is required by God to honor both of you, there's not a, a, um, a difficulty here in understanding who is what and what is where, but both mother and father are going in the same direction. Well, verse 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. This is powerful. And again, it is almost the same exact language and tone as I spoke about last week related to the husband being gentle and kind and merciful towards his wife. 
Fathers, you should have the same attitude towards your children. But before we go there, uh, it says fathers. So last time it was fathers and mother, honor, honor your father and mother. But here it specifically speaks to the father. And what this is getting at is the spiritual leadership of the father. In the, the organization I work with, there's something called an accountable leader. And so every time that something rolls down from headquarters and somebody is going to be accountable for what happens, they designate an accountable leader. And that means no matter what happens underneath them or who messes up, you know who's going to be on the line for it? The accountable leader is going to be on the line. So he better get his act together and get his troops in order underneath and, and have a hand on what is going on because he is ultimately, or she in this organization, accountable as a leader. But in the family, the father is the accountable leader before God. He is the spiritual leader. And so one day, uh, or if the family goes wildly off track, God is going to hold the father primarily accountable for not leading his family well. This is the spiritual leadership or part of the spiritual leadership of the husband and the father in the family. And so the tone here is to be set by the believing father. To not be harsh, to not be an angry person, to not be unkind, to not push too far and push too hard. Because what Colossians chapter 3 says about this is the same thing um, that this passage says. I'm going to read for you Colossians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. Colossians 3, 20 and 21 is another counterpart passages, passage that says the same things that have been said in Peter and now in Ephesians and also in Colossians. Colossians 3.20 and 21 uh, says this, if I can find it. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Lest they become discouraged. Every one of us have had to endure somewhere in the workplace or perhaps in your family or elsewhere an angry, overbearing leader. And angry, overbearing leaders do not produce the results that they hope that they will. What they do is they discourage the people that are underneath them. Because nothing that you do, no matter how well it's done, ever produces the hope and the joy that you want it to. Instead, it seems to produce more anger and more harshness because the anger and the harshness is resident in the heart of the leader. It's not related to the child. It's that the leader themselves are never satisfied with what is going on. And they don't have the love in their own hearts that they need towards the people that are under their leadership. And so fathers, you must be the type of person that loves your children. Mothers in the same way that you love your children, that your leadership in the home is not marked by anger and overbearing and harshness. Because this will not bring the result that you think it will in the lives of your children. Instead, it will discourage them and drive them away from you. Why? Because harsh leadership does not reflect the grace of Jesus. Harsh leadership does not, does not reflect the grace of Jesus. Jesus is our king he is the king of kings. He has the ultimate authority over all this stack that we have been talking about. And yet Jesus overflows with love and mercy and kindness towards us. If we go down this line of authority that we have been talking about, first there is God and his great love for humanity. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Yes, God Almighty is the ultimate authority over us, but he loves us with an unconditional love that we feel and we know through Christ Jesus. When we keep going down the line, the husband is to love the wife unconditionally. First, he is initiating that love. Even though God gives him an authority in the marriage, he is to lead in love. And so it is with parents, with mother and father. As you are given authority over your children, your leadership should be marked by a great love. That there is both authority and love. It is modeled after the perfect love of Christ. And in being modeled after the perfect love of Christ, it is an initiating love. All down the line, God loved us first, and we respond to his love. The husband is to love the wife first, and she responds to that love. The parents are to love their children first, and the children respond to that love. It's not that, child, I will love you if you perform for me and do enough for me, and if you are good enough, then I will love you. Perhaps some of you were raised in a household like that. If you were, I'm sorry, because it's a household that does not reflect the love of Christ. We, as Christian parents, as Christian mothers and fathers, we first learn of the love of Christ, and it affects our heart, and then we go and we love our children unconditionally. We love them with a great passion and joy, but with authority. And these two things work to shape the lives of our children. So do not provoke them, but bring them up. Bring them up. In what? It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So we got to take a, a side trail here to talk about something that's very, very important. We are to be bringing up our children in everything that I just said, but in the discipline and instruction. Discipline is negative, instruction is positive of the Lord. In a, in a godly way, but this is going to put you directly at odds with parenting in our day and age. So let's talk about the, the way in which biblical uh, parental authority is so different than our current mindset in this world of child-centered, no-authority parenting. In a biblical model of parenting, the child is understood to be a sinner, and it's understood to be spiritually ignorant, and that the child needs discipline, and that the child needs direction. And so, as we've been talking, and I, you'll hear me say this often, the difference between what is and what ought to be. So with our child, we know that the way they begin life is not the way that they ought to be. And so we are striving to train their heart, teach them about Jesus, educate them, to raise them up to what they ought to be. And in this, we are seeking their salvation, we are seeking their education, we are seeking healthy relationships in their life as they learn how to relate to other people. As they grow up into a later teenager and move into their 20s, we are, we are striving for them to uh, look at marriage and what it means to enter into marriage. We are seeking their personal character and their grounding as a child so that they grow up to be a well-formed adult. And all of this is, the parent is working to shape this in the child. We cannot make decisions for our children. 
They have to make their own decisions, but their decisions will be influenced by the way that we parent them and work in their life. And this is radically different than the child-centered, no-authority parenting of our godless day and age. So what does a non-Christian view say about children? Well, it says that they're basically good. And in their basic goodness, they can make their own decisions and that the decisions that they choose to make should simply be affirmed and enabled all along the way. And that we're just there to kind of support whatever it is that they want to do. And this becomes, this has reached a level in our day and age of tragedy. Not just being uh, strange or, or, or foolish, but tragic. Just yesterday, the news was full of uh, articles about Dwayne Wade. I just know Dwayne Wade because I was down in Miami when he was big on the Miami Heat. But Dwayne Wade's uh, son, now saying that he is a daughter, at eight years of age, proclaiming that he was a girl. And, and them saying, well, we are here to, we're so excited about the courage of this young man to say these things. And we're here to su support him and enable everything that he wants to do and be. And, you know, it is, it's, it's amazing that you have to say this in this day and age, that anyone would think that an eight-year-old child has the wherewithal to make a major life decision that will affect them mind, body, and soul and shape the rest of their life at eight years of age. If, if you don't realize this, let me be clear, an eight-year-old child does not have the wherewithal to make major life decisions. That's why you are a parent. God has given you authority in their lives to guard them and to help them and to shape their lives and help them deal with the struggles they may have. Every child deals with different struggles. If you have many children, you'll understand that every single one of your children will deal with different struggles. And it's your role as a parent to come alongside them with love and with wisdom and with authority to help them to shape their lives. They're all going to be individuals. They're all going to do different things, and, and you can't foresee what all those different things are going to be, but you are there to help them. But a child that has no authority of a parent, that is simply affirmed and enabled in whatever their sinful heart wants to do, will grow up to be a godless child, a selfish child, a spoiled child, a morally confused child, and a lonely and anxious child. Because that child was given no clear grounding, no clear direction. They just sort of wandered into life and ended up wherever they ended up. Are we, are we at any... Do we wonder why our generation is plagued by loneliness and anxiety and confusion when they were never given any clear direction or never told that there was a God that loves them and it has a plan for their life, a way that they ought to live and walk in? So let's speak about what moms and dads are supposed to be doing with their children. Actively, we are supposed to be disciplining and instructing our children. Discipline has a negative connotation to it. It is turning a child away from something that they would want to do. But I think there's two ways that we ought to look at discipline in the life of our children. First is the general idea of living a disciplined life. A person can live a disciplined life or an undisciplined life. An undisciplined life is a, is a life that's out of control. It just, whatever your heart desires, you just go do it. And I think there's very, very few people that think that a, just a wildly undisciplined life is a good idea. 
But how should our life be disciplined? What direction, what shape should the discipline of our life take? Well, it should be according to the virtues of Scripture and the virtues of Christ Jesus our Lord. We are seeking for our children to be serving, generous, hardworking, selfless young people growing into adults. Part of the discipline that we are instilling in our children is a desire for education, a heart that wants the mind to grow, that you want to learn about the world around you, that you want to apply the mind that God has given you with the gifts and talents that God has given to you, that you might be all that you can be before the Lord. And so this disciplined life is achieved in the life of a small child by the parent bringing correction into the life of the child to get them onto this path. If you've been hearing anything that I'm saying this morning, a child does not just fall into a disciplined life. They don't just wake up and say, I can't wait to go to kindergarten today. Like, let's learn, Dad. You know, let, let's, would somebody please teach me how to mow the grass. Like, it's never happened, and it won't happen. So you need to bring discipline and correction into their life to get them into this path. And there are various forms of discipline that a parent brings into a child's life. Lots of different things. If this is something you struggle with, I encourage you to pick up some books back there in the library or elsewhere. The writings of Ted Tripp, Paul David Tripp, John Roseman. I don't know if John Roseman is a Christian, but he's an incredibly practical guy. Uh, James Dobson, uh, all very helpful. But of all the things that the world will tell you about discipline, let me bring a particular Christian note to this. The idea of spanking did not come out of the 1950s, folks. It came out of the Bible. The Bible tells us often about spanking. Gen, uh, Proverbs 29:15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29:17, Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will, give, he will be a delight to your heart. I understand completely that there are settings... Uh, of, of abuse and foster care and things like this where this is not appropriate. But don't let the exception f form the rule. The exception should be the exception. A, a child that is loved and raised in a Christian home, there is room for and should be, I believe, according to the scriptures, a place for spanking, which is done in love, which is done in self-control. But the whole point is you bring a very small amount of pain into the life of a child to help shape their character to avoid what? A massive amount of life-changing pain later on, such as prison, such as drug addiction, such as things that will completely derail their entire life. But if a child at an early age, we're going back to the beginning of this, will come under the authority of a parent and learn from that parent the gospel of Jesus Christ and then come to salvation and grow in that salvation, a very small amount of, of pain will shape a life of a child to help them understand the, the, the difference between uh, consequences and blessing. And so a child can learn these things and it can radically help your child. So this is discipline. But with discipline must come instruction. Discipline is not an end in and of itself. Instruction is the next part. There must be much positive input into the life of our children. You are teaching your child. Mom and dad, you may not think that you are a teacher, but you are a teacher. And you're teaching them all kinds of things all day long. In the way that you act and speak and treat others, you're teaching them. 
but there must be active teaching as well. Teaching them about God, uh, teaching them Bible stories. It's, there's a reason why Sherry has our curriculum in the children's department revolve around Bible stories. Kids love what? Stories. They love stories. It's the best time in a child's life to teach them the stories of the Bible. It is impossible for me from this pulpit to go through all the stories of the Old and New Testament. I'd be here for the rest of my life, and we'd never get to any of this stuff because I'd be telling stories every week. And so the best way for your children to become grounded in the stories of the Bible is to read them to them as a child. Get a great Bible story book. If you don't have one, go ask Sherry, go ask Betty Sue. They'll point you towards uh, our Karen uh, as to some of the good Bible story books that are faithful to the Scriptures and that teach your children these stories. And teach your children the gospel. Help them to understand their need for forgiveness in Christ and the mercy of Christ Jesus. Seek after their souls that they might come to Jesus. Then we are teaching them about the world around us. Teach your children about history. Teach them about critical thinking. Teach them how to make sense of the world that is around them. Give them a good general education. Give your children the best education that you can give them. Education is not an end in of itself. We can go to all kinds of higher learning institutions where people are brilliant in math and physics and are completely immoral and lost because they have neglected the, the soul. But we must not neglect the mind as we also instruct the soul. We want our children to be the best in all the categories that they can be, that they might be the most that they possibly can be in Christ. And so we speak to their soul, and we speak to their mind, and we speak to their body, and we work to strengthen and raise our children to the very best of our ability, which for every one of us will be limited in one way or another. But we take what God has given to us, and we do the best that we can, and we entrust the rest to the Lord. And this is what walking by faith is all about in parenting. I've got to wrap this up here because we've got a great little thing coming up next year. But let me see. Proverbs 13.1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Children, you're also listening to what I'm saying this morning. Hear these things. Have a heart that is willing to listen to your parent. Listen to your mother and father. Understanding that they also are sinners, but that they love you and they are trying to raise you well. Three closing thoughts before I wrap this up. Number one, as an adult child, you never stop being under this command to honor your father and mother. I believe this never stops. No matter how old your father and mother may be, no matter what uh, faith your father and mother may be of, no matter what political persuasion your father and mother may be of, no matter what personality they may have, we are called to honor our father and mother. This can be difficult sometimes. As Two adults grow in different ways. It can be harder. But we have to keep striving to be in good relationship with our parents. We must keep adjusting. We must keep engaging. If you have broken relationship with your parents over some issue, I urge you as a Christian to hear these words and go back and re-engage with them that you might honor your father and mother and that they might know it. Second, is that as parents, we stay engaged as a parent as our child moves through the latter teen years. We spend a lot of time talking about little kids' stuff, but kids need parents engaged with them all the way through the teen years. 
a lie of our age is that as soon as a child doesn't need you to feed them and change their diaper, you can just go back to whatever you were doing and hand them off to someone else. But in some ways, our children need us the most in their teen years as they struggle with these deep issues of who are they going to be and what kind of major life decisions are they going to make. And they need you at the dinner table so they can talk to you and interact with you and you can see what's going on in their life and be near them. This is also a role of a grandparent. Be engaged with your teenagers. What's happening on this spectrum of raising children is that children start fully dependent, but we are raising them to be fully independent. And so there's this sliding scale that as a child gets older and older and older, the heavy rule structure that you have of, a, of an elementary school age child gives way to less and less and less and less rules until a child is on their own and they launch out of the nest and fly away because they're fully independent. And that's what we want. We start with low trust, son, are all those candy wrappers behind the couch yours? Uh, to I trust you and what you tell me, I believe you because you're going out into the world. We have less responsibility to more responsibility. But as parents, we need to be there all along the way, engaged with them, praying for them, striving with them for their good. And lastly, a commendation to all of us here at the church, everyone here, be engaged with our children. Love children. Be around them. Don't try to avoid children. Be involved in their lives. I encourage you, if you are not signed up in any way doing anything with children in this church, reconsider that. Go see Sherry. Go see Betty Sue. Do something to keep the nursery. Be a substitute teacher in a class. Some of these classes, they have 23 kids in them. Be a, be a wrangler. Go in there and like, yeah, sit down, sit down, sit down, so somebody can actually teach. Uh, take on a class, teach a class, speak to our children, pray for the children of this church, be engaged. This is what Jesus did because it's always been the natural tendency of people to say, these kids are noisy and it's not covered and like, like just get them away so we can do more important things. But Jesus said what? Bring the little children to me so that he might pray for them and bless them, and this should be our attitude as well. We want to love children in this church and be involved with them, praying for their souls, celebrating and encouraging them, and those that are wayward, seeking after them, that they might come back to Christ Jesus. Let's pray together.